Mark chapter 11, verse 12. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Now, verse 20. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursedest is withered away. And Jesus answering, saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when you pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught against any, for that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Faith in God is not something that we have naturally. Did you realize that? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. The faith to trust God, the faith to trust Jesus comes from God. God enables us to trust Him for salvation. And then here's something that's just wonderful. After we're saved, He gives us the, as Romans 12, 3 calls it, we'll read that verse in just a moment, a measure of faith to be able to serve Him. Romans 12, 3, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And there's a real good line right there, isn't it? But to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. That word measure means degree. It means portion. God has given you as a child of God a portion of faith. And in that faith you are supposed to serve Him. So God empowers us to trust Him. And then He enables us to be able to serve Him through faith. Now the outworking of faith in God's people has allowed them to see great demonstrations of God's power in their lifetimes. Maybe you have seen some demonstration of God's power in your lifetime. Maybe someone who was critically ill or had been injured and you prayed and you trusted God and they were healed or something else of that matter. But you go back to the Word of God, and in Joshua 10, Joshua trusted God. They were finding the Amorites, and what happened was that they were in the midst of a battle, and evening was coming on. So what did Joshua do? Joshua just prayed that God would cause the sun to stand still. And it did. And the Israelites won the battle. In Joshua chapter 14, Caleb, 85 years old. Now think about that. Hey, we think we're old when we're whatever age we are. I've had 20-year-olds tell me they were old. They're not old. They just think they are, right? Caleb was 85 years old. And he prayed and he trusted God and he said to God, Give me this mountain. And he went into a mountain that was his allotted portion in the promised land and he fought and defeated giants in that mountain. And I like this one, Daniel chapter 3. All 30 verses of that third chapter of Daniel, three Hebrew children refused to bow to the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had made. 
And they trusted God and they were cast into the fiery furnace and they came out of the fiery furnace without even the smell of smoke on their clothes. They trusted God. They saw God do great things in their lives. And there's so many more examples that we could give from the Word of God. That's just three. I said, you may have seen God move in your lives. I think in our personal lives, we have probably seen God. There are things that I could name for the sake of time I want this morning. And then remember what Jesus said in the message a couple of weeks ago about the sycamore tree. If you had the faith, and our mustard seed is gone today, but if you had the faith of a grain of mustard seed, You could say to a sycamore tree, be plucked up by the roots and cast into the sea, and it would obey you. One day in our text, Jesus and his disciples are walking toward Jerusalem, and there's a fig tree, and Jesus wants some figs, and there's no figs on it. Now the scripture says the time of figs had not yet come, but there's no figs on that tree, and the scripture says Jesus cursed that tree. Now that doesn't mean he swore at it, we understand that. But Jesus just placed a curse on that tree. Don't ever bury any figs as long as you're around. And so that tree was cursed. And then they say, came back the next day. That tree is dried up from the roots. But Jesus used this experience as a lesson to teach his disciples something about faith and to teach us something about faith. See, when we exercise true Biblical faith in God. And there's the key words, by the way, true biblical faith. You know, I think sometimes we think we exercise faith when we don't exercise faith. A lot of times we have a a mental desire to have faith, but it doesn't get down into the heart. You say, what are you talking about there, preacher? Because sometimes we pray about something, we're going to turn it over to God. You ever do that? And when you get up off your knees, you pick it right back up and you start trying to cure it. Well, that's not really trusting God. That's not giving it to God and leaving it alone there. God can do so much better than we can do. God can take care of things so much better than we can take care of things. And so we just need to give some things to God. That's true biblical faith. And when we do that, we can expect some amazing results to take place. God can do things that we sometimes don't even think that He could do. But see, a lot of people think true biblical faith is a blank check. I mean, we'll just ask God for whatever I want. Lord, drop me down a Cadillac. Well, that was in the old days. I don't know. What would you want today? I'll just name a car. Whatever car you think is the, the ideal car. Lord, just drop me down one from heaven. I'm going to trust God to do it. And I'm going to go out and look in my driveway tomorrow morning and see if it's there. And I'm going to be disappointed when it's not. That's what a lot of people are taught to believe about faith. That's not what the Bible is talking about. That's not true biblical faith. But a lot of people think that. Our text that we read has a lot to teach us, and I'm going to make three quick points about, well, I'll try to make them quickly, about faith and true biblical faith and what it will do and then some hindrances to it. And first of all, I want you to see in verse 22, and I love this the way Jesus did this in verse 22, what I call the object of faith. Now, the disciples are amazed that this fig tree has dried up from the roots. All Jesus said to us, don't bear any more figs. And it dried up from the roots. And they're amazed. And what did Jesus say to them? Have faith in God. That is so simple, isn't it? You come to me with a problem and I tell you have faith in God. You're going to say, preacher, isn't there any more than that? There is no more than that, folks. Have faith in God. This is your problem? Pray about it. Give it to God. Trust God. Just have faith in God. See, that is so simple. Most people don't want to do it. 
Most people don't want to say, look, Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm getting out of this thing. I'm not putting my hands on it. I'm not touching it. I'm giving it to you. And you do whatever needs to be done. That's faith in God. But most people, listen, my wife can tell you, I like to fix things, whether they're broken or not. You know, if they're not running just right, if they don't look just right, I like to fix them. And I mess up more than I fix. And that's the way we do in life sometimes. We want, to, we want to fix something that only God can fix. And we end up making things worse. Now the emphasis of this command from Jesus of trust God is that God's people ought to have a deep, settled, consistent, and ongoing confidence in who God is, first of all. And in what God has said. And in what God will do. That's faith in God. And it talks about, first of all, faith in God's person. If you are saved, and you know this, but if you're saved, God is your Father. Amen. And just like any father. See, I relate to God a lot through being a father. I relate God's care for me through my care for my children. And I want the best for them. Okay? I mean, I think Aaron got the best husband. You can pay me for that later, by the way. <laughs> but I want to, as a father, I, want to, I don't want to see them ill. I don't want to see them hurt. I don't want to see them needy. Well, if I can do, as a, as a sinner saved by the grace of God, if I can feel that way for my children, you take a perfect God, a sinless God, who is full of love, what does He want for His children? 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7 Especially verse 7. Years ago, I copied verse 7. I put it on a card on my desk. And it said, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. And I love that. But see, you've got to read verse 6 first. Because verse 6 says this, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. See, we're not going to cast anything on God until we humble ourselves under God. And when we humble ourselves under God, we're going to give Him all of our cares and we know that He cares for us just like a father cares for his children. God's person. As your father, God invites you to place all of your needs, all of your burdens, all of your concerns upon Him. What does Philippians 4, 6, and 7 say? So be careful for nothing. That means don't worry about even one thing. All right? Got any worriers? I'm looking right at, uh, I won't call her name. Uh, I'm looking right at a worrier or two. Don't worry about even one thing. Be careful for nothing. Believe what it says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And he, this is how to have peace. Because it says, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When will we have that peace? When we put it on God. When we give it to God. That's the way to have real peace, true peace in your life. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly, not arrogantly, there's a fine line, by the way, between arrogance and boldness. You realize that? You can be bold without being arrogant. But you can be arrogant without being bold. And there's a fine line. And the scripture says we are to come boldly unto the throne of grace. And find grace to help in time of need. My children have never failed when they needed something to come to dad and ask. Because they knew dad cared. 
And so the scripture said, because God is our Father, He cares about our needs, He cares about our burdens, and He desires to open up the resources of His kingdom and give them to us. Listen to Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. How much does God have to give us? He owns it all, folks. The cattle on a thousand hills. I like what the psalmist said. You know, if I were hungry, God said, I wouldn't ask you for food. I own it all. I'd just kill one of those cattle on a thousand hills, and that would be my meal. So God has all of the resources of the kingdom. We are not dealing with some disconnected deity. We are not dealing with some God who has no compassion for his people, who has no care, no concern for his people. We are dealing with a God who loves his children and he wants his children to come to him in simple childlike faith. We had in the Sunday school lesson this morning that account where the children were coming to Jesus and the disciples rebuked them and said, leave him alone. And Jesus rebuked the disciples. And he said, suffer the little children, forbid them not to come unto me, for I'll, I'll such is the kingdom of God. And I pointed out to the class, you know who the most humble, trusting, loving person in the world is? A little child. I gave an account of being around some children, and I'm not going to go into the whole story. You should have been in Sunday school class if you wanted to hear it. But this, some little children, I was around Thursday. I didn't know them, they didn't know me. We were sitting in a waiting room. By the time... Their mother got ready for them to leave. They were talking to me. And they were telling me they were going to school. And I was just talking to them, you know, just being kind to little children. They didn't know me from it, but they were willing to talk. And so we need to become like little children in everything. But especially in this thing of trusting God. The child of God can trust his heavenly father. But it's also talked about God's promises Philippians 4, 6, And everything by prayer and supplication make our request known, casting all your care upon Him. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, The Word of God invites us to pray. It's not that I think we have too many prayers when we have a worship service. We don't have enough, folks. You say, but we pray at the beginning. We pray before we receive the offering. We pray before you preach. And we pray when we close out the service. Okay, are you praying during the message? Yeah, I'm praying that God would touch the heart of that old thing sitting over there. <laughs> no, pray, God, touch my heart with this message. Amen. Lord, help me. I don't know if you noticed, but in my prayer a few moments ago, I asked God to help us not just hear with these things or hear with this. We need to hear with our hearts. Amen. I shared something on Facebook this morning. It says this. The great problem is most of God's people go to church instead of going to worship. Amen. Folks, we need to come here to worship. We're not just going to church. Much of the religious world goes to church. We're coming to worship God. And God says, I want you to pray to me. I want my children to feel the freedom to come to me. I want them to make their requests. I want them to come tell me they love me. Hey, when's the last time you prayed and just told God, Lord, I'm not coming for anything. I'm not asking for anything. I'm not going to ask you to do this or this or this for me. Lord, I want to just come to you and thank you for all that you've done for me. Lord, I want to come to you and I want to thank you and tell you that I love you and help me to be a better child of yours. When's the last time we did that? I don't need your answer, but you answer to yourself. God promises to hear us when we pray. Jeremiah 33, verse 3, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. What does God say? You just call. I'll answer and I'll show you things. Psalm 
10, verse 17, Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear. God hears the prayers of his children. Just like we've got a lot of fathers in here. Just like a father hears the prayers and the requests of their children. God hears the prayers and the requests of his children. And then God promises to answer those prayers. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, he says, ask, seek, knock. And the idea there is because that's in the present tense, he's saying, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. I've had people ask me, well, do you think, I, I, am I praying about this too much? Am I praying about this one thing too many times? Am I bugging God? Am I bothering God by praying about this one thing over and over and over? Go to Matthew 7. God says, keep on, keep on, keep on. When he gives you an answer, accept the answer. Sometimes God says yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says wait. And I'm going to give you my personal opinion of why God says wait sometimes. Because this has happened to me. There's something that I thought was just monumental. It is earth shattering. The world will end if I don't get an answer to this. And so I pray about it one time. And forget about it. And the answer hadn't come. And I don't ever pray about it again. You know what God's showing me? That thing's not as important to you as you thought it was, is it? So sometimes we just need to learn to wait on the Lord. Isaiah 58 verse 9, Thou shalt call and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry and he shall say, I like this, Here am I. Did you ever just pray and say, Lord, show me that you're with me. Lord, show me that you're here. Lord, say to me, Here I am or here am I in my life. Did you ever feel, this is a bad word, a bad choice of words, I understand, but did you ever feel... Because the psalmist did. Did you ever feel abandoned by God? Something's going on and you can't explain it. You can't get a handle on it. And you just say, where's God? Why did He leave me? That's what the psalmist said one time. Lord, why have you forsaken me? Well, well, let me guarantee you this. God hasn't left us. We leave Him. But God hasn't left us. So... God's presence and God's promises and God's power. See, it's one thing to make a promise. It's another thing altogether to have the power to keep that promise. Now, you may ask me to do something and I may promise to do it. (laughs) I may find out that I'm not able to do it. Well, then I didn't have the power to keep my promise, did I? But we serve a God who has the power. We, as God's people, can have absolute confidence, absolute assurance that God has the power to do everything that He has promised to do. He has the power to do anything that we ask. Now, will He do everything that we ask? Not necessarily. I'm going to show you that in just a moment. He has the ability to do anything He pleases to do. And He does. And listen, God is always right when He does it. God will never do anything that's wrong. We serve an awesome God who possesses all power and all ability and authority in heaven and in earth. Jesus said in Matthew 28, all power, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says this, Now unto him that is able to do, that's power, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. The dynamic ability that works in us. What he's saying, you just imagine The greatest thing you can that you would have God to do. God's ability goes eons beyond that. 
It's just like overflowing a glass with water. That's God's power in relation to our desires. And then God's purposes. When it comes to faith in God, remember, God has an eternal plan and God has an eternal purpose and God is working everything in the universe, even our request toward His will, toward His plan, toward His purpose. I said again, a lot of people believe they can ask God for just anything they want. And God is obligated to give it to them. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Prayer is not about getting what we want from heaven. Prayer is about getting our will in line with God's will and doing what God wants us to do. That's what prayer is about. I had a deacon one time ask me, why should I pray? Not this one, by the way. This one reminds me a lot of in some ways. It's a good thing, brother. But I had this deacon ask me one day, why should I pray? God knows what I need. And I told him, I said, you don't pray to inform God of anything. Here's why you pray. You pray for your benefit. When I pray and present my needs to God, and God answers those needs, then I learn more dependence, greater dependence among God. Greater trust in God. And so, first of all, there's the objects of our faith. Our faith is in God. Trust God. And there are opportunities of biblical faith. Do you realize, look at verses 23 and 24 here. Jesus said in verse 23, I say unto you, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. It allows us, first of all, to believe the impossible. Jesus, from where they're standing, they could see the Dead Sea from the Mount of Olives. You can stand on the Mount of Olives and see the Dead Sea far down in the south. And he's using a familiar Jewish proverb as he's trying to teach his disciples a deep spiritual truth. And the Jews oftentimes will refer to a mountain as something that was impossible. I'm fa- have you ever said that? I think I may have said that. I'm facing a mountain. Sometimes we do what with molehills? We make mountains out of molehills, and there's a lot of folks that do that, and they just get all bent out of shape when they make mountains out of molehills. Well, the Jews knew what a mountain was. It's an impossible situation. And Jesus said, if you had faith, you'd say to this mountain, you'd say to this impossible situation, get out of the way. Be cast into the sea. God's going to take care of this. And he said, that mountain, if you had faith, would obey you. Just do what you said. There are many situations in life that seem hopeless, aren't there? I would suggest, I would guess, that there are people you know, or you have known in the past, that you've watched their lives, you've talked to them, you've been friends with them, you've said, that person will never be saved. They just won't hear. They won't listen to me. They won't accept Christ as Savior. And you, but you continue to pray for them and one day you find out they've been saved. What did God do? He removed a mountain. Sometimes there are needs that are so great. You think, it can never be met. Nothing is ever going to come out of this. But you pray about it. i got to tell this. Our dad had a business. Payday was on Friday. Sometimes... The income didn't catch up with the outgo, right? He'd be worried to death about payday on Friday. He'd go by the post office Friday morning before he came to work and there'd be a check 
in the mail enough to cover payroll. What was God doing? He's taking care of need. A lot of times we say about needs, oh, it can never be met. Just give it to God. Trust God to take care of that need. And then sometimes there's problems that are so big, so big. I said sometimes we make mountains out of molehills, but sometimes there are real problems that are so big we think we can never overcome them. If you've never had a situation where you had a problem you thought was so big you'd never overcome it, you just ought to pastor for a while. You know, I will guarantee you that. You just ought to stand in that position and look sometimes at a, I'm trying to be real careful. But just look out and say, where are people? Now you look out and say, Lord, we want you to bless this church for your glory. And, and yet it seems like, you know, people are drawn to, by the way, I'm going to ask something tonight. In business meeting, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. I don't often, I don't, I haven't ever asked for what to put on the sign. But here's what I want to put on this sign. Our focus is on God's Word. Amen. I would much rather instruct in the worship and instruct in the Word than entertain in the worship service. Amen. This nation, this community... I understand because I heard them talking about it. There was a, a, a shooting last night at one of our local <clears throat> entertainment centers. You know what I'm talking about. This community needs churches that focus on the Word of God, not focus on entertaining people in the worship service. Amen. And if we don't draw a big crowd by focusing on the Word of God, then that just tells us that most of this community doesn't want the Word of God. We're going to preach the Word of God here, folks. And I said I'm going to ask that. I've already asked it, so now I'm going to put it up without asking it tonight. How about that? <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the message. Problems so big that we think they'd never be overcome. Give them to God. That problem can be overcome. It may not be overcome in the way you'd overcome it, but God's smarter than you are. Amen. God knows what is needed more than you do. And so however God overcomes it, praise God that the problem was overcome. Faith in God and the promise of His Word will allow us to believe the impossible situations in life. Again, the lost person. The Lord's not slack concerning His promises. But His long-suffering toward us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everybody to be saved, even though some won't. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 God who would have all men to be saved come to the knowledge of the truth. Faith in God in needs. Philippians 4.19 My God shall supply all your need through His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Okay? And over and over and over. I can have faith. Listen. And you can too. I can have faith that I am saved and secure for eternity. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus said, All that the Father hath given me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. John 10, 28, He said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never, get that word, never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I can have faith in a place called heaven. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am ye may be also. That's all in faith, folks. That's faith. And the list could go on and on and on. Faith in God and His promises will allow us to trust things that appear impossible, but it also allows us to receive the impossible. Not just see or believe the impossible, but to receive it. 
We started this series out with Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Substance is the basis and evidence. I like this. I saw this recently. Definition of evidence. Faith is the smoking gun, folks. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith allows us to hold in our hearts things that have yet to appear. Jesus hasn't come back yet, but he's going to. And you better get ready. You better live ready for the Lord's return. Faith in God, trusting God, gives us a present confidence in a future reality. I can live today expecting Jesus to come back this afternoon. And he could, by the way. Faith allows us to believe that what is future is already ours. I'm not in heaven yet. I'm in a little taste of heaven. How about that? I'm not in heaven yet, but one of these days I'm going to be. You say, then what it's like? I don't know what it's like. But I know I'm going to be there, and the Word of God gives me that assurance. Faith gives me that assurance. See, faith is not based on what these eyes can see. Faith is based on what God has promised. Faith mentioned here gives substance to the promises of God. I mentioned Christ's return. We hope for Christ's return, don't we? That word hope, by the way, is not iffy. It means glad expectation. Titus 2, verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The resurrection of the dead, 1 Peter 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection, by the way, lively means living, a living hope or lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our future glorification, beloved, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. What's the glorified body going to look like? I don't know, but it's going to be good. It's going to be the kind of body Jesus had. And by the way, in that glorified body, walls couldn't hold him. Remember that? The disciples are all gathered in the house behind a locked door and Jesus just walks in (laughs) through the door, through the wall. Man, that's going to be great. He could be here and he could be there like that. I love that. I would go anywhere if I didn't have to travel. Hey, one of these days, in that glorified body, I'm I'm there. I mean, you say, you're... You're gone crazy preaching. No, I trust God. I trust what the Word of God says. And that we will reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 20 verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ. And shall reign with him a thousand years. Pardon my grammar. But I ain't nobody on this earth right now. But one of these days I'm going to be. We're going to rule and reign with Jesus. How about that? All of these things seem impossible to our minds, yet by faith, they're reality. But let me give you this right quickly, and I'm going to try to go quickly on this. There are some obstacles to our faith. There are obstacles to our faith. Faith can be hindered. And there's several of them mentioned in the Bible, several obstacles But I want to just focus on three this morning. And the three that are involved in these verses here in the 11th chapter of the book of Mark. Verse 23, first of all, Jesus said, For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. The first one is unbelief. Unbelief. Doubt is deadly to faith and to effective prayer, folks. Amen. We're to pray believing. 
We're not to pray doubting. We are to pray believing. And what we're doing when we doubt, we're just drawing back from the Word of God. The Word of God says, what? Have faith in God. Well, I'm going to doubt. Well, I just, I'm going to step away. I know what the Bible says, but I'm going to doubt, right? We talked about that in Sunday school. But I'm just going to have this doubt. We're saying, I know what God has said, but I don't believe Him in this matter. I've got to do something about it. Doubt said God promised it, but I don't believe God will do it. That's what doubt does in our prayer. That's what doubt does to our faith. And the prayer of the doubter, listen, will not be answered. You say, where does it say that? James chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. How much can you waver? Nothing. Thank you. <laughs> I was going to stand here till I got an answer that time. How much can you waver? Nothing. Nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Now, I've got to be careful in explaining this because I've got some folks that could correct me. But many years ago, we went out to Monterey, California, and we went along this 17-mile drive. It is 17, right? 17-mile drive there. And there's a place along there, I think it's called the Restless Sea or something, where two ocean currents come together. And the waves are just constantly tossing. I've, I've gotten some pictures of that. And I've, on my little scripture photos thing that I do on Facebook, some of those pictures are used there with this verse. Because every time I think of this verse, I think of those waves, two currents coming together, and the waves are just constantly churning and boiling and crashing. And the Word of God says that's the man who doubts. He's tossed. He's driven. And then he says, But let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. You're going to pray? You pray trusting God. You don't doubt God. Selfishness is the next one. Because verse 24, he says, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. And it sounds like, because the word desire means to ask, to call for, to plead for. So it sounds like what he's saying is, well, just ask for anything. Anything. Lord, I want to wake up in the morning and find a million dollars in my bank account. You think I'm going to? That's not what that verse is saying. Well, why are you saying that? Preacher, because positive answers to prayer come when that prayer is according to God's will. Amen. See, you can't take just one verse out of the Bible and set it over here and build a doctrine on it. Amen. You can't say, oh, that verse says ask for anything you want. I'm going to ask for anything you want. But the boys on TV hadn't figured that out yet. Now listen to what 1 John chapter 5 says, verse 14, And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. It says He'll hear you. But how does it say He'll hear you? If we ask anything, how? According to His will. That doesn't mean, Lord, I want a million dollars in my bank account in the morning, if it's Your will. That's not what that's saying. And then it says, and if we know that He hears whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him when we ask according to His will. Not my will. A million dollars in my bank account is my will. Okay? Lord, here's my will. Please give me my will. No, it's according to God's will. You say, how do I ask according to God's will? You've got to know it first, don't you? Amen. Where do you learn the will of God? In the Word of God. 
That's why it's so important to study your Bible. That's why it's so important to be in church. That's why it's so important to be in Sunday school. We learn the will of God from the Word of God. And we can't ask properly unless we ask according to the will of God, which comes from the Word of God. When we pray, and I suppose you do, we ought to, we're taught to, when we pray in Jesus' name, this is not some magic abracadabra type of formula, okay? That's not what in Jesus' name. Do you know what name signifies in the Bible? Authority. When we pray, we're praying in Jesus' name, in Jesus' authority. It means to pray for things that Jesus would pray for himself. John chapter 14. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. In Jesus' name is sort of like power of attorney. You know what power of attorney is. Now, if someone gives you power of attorney, does that mean you can make decisions based on their goods, whatever you have power of attorney over, for your benefit? No. When we have power of attorney, if someone does, then you make decisions on the behalf of the individual for whom you have power of attorney that is in their best interest. Maybe they're not able to make decisions in their best interest, so you have power of attorney to make the right decisions in their best interest. Doesn't mean you can use their stuff any way you want to. Some do, but that's not what it means. James chapter 4, James said, You ask and receive not. Why? Because, first of all, he said, you, you have not because you ask not. And then he said, you ask and receive not. Why? Because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. Amiss means the wrong way, for, in the wrong manner. Some people just pray to have their lusts, their desires fulfilled. And God will not underwrite your or my lust. Amen. He won't do it. And there's one other that the Lord deals with here. We touched on it two weeks ago, but here it is again. I said to the Sunday school class, have you ever noticed how much time Jesus and the Apostle Paul spent on the matter of forgiveness? Jesus talked about 70 times 7. Forgiving. Jesus, in, over in the book of Luke, talked about forgiving. Here he talks about forgiving. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians Chapter 4, verse 32, that for, for God's sake we're to forgive. In Colossians chapter 3, he said that you are to forgive the way Jesus forgave you. Now, just think for a moment, how much did Jesus forgive you of? Everything. I contend, based on Ephesians 4, 32, and that verse in Colossians chapter 3, I think it's about verse 12, 13, 14, somewhere around in there. And listen... And I, I'm not, I, I, this is not a pity party. I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me. But there have been times that Joni and I have looked at each other. In the days I've been pastoring, we looked at each other and said, well, it's just me and you again. Because people, and I'm trusting you that you won't, but people will turn against a preacher. Amen. In a heartbeat. And there have been times we've looked at each other and said, it's just us. You know, when you move into a place... About half the church shows up to move you in. When you move out, it's just you and your wife moving stuff out. If, if you can get some family members to come help. That's the way it works. But based on those verses, I've come to this conclusion. There's not anything that you can do to me that is worse than what I did to Jesus. 
I nailed him to the cross. So what does that tell me? Now we're going to talk about this right quick. I said this is going to be fast. The connection between faith and forgiveness is found in the matter of prayer. Right here. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Faith connects us to the Lord. Unforgiveness is a barrier between us and the Lord. That's what he's saying. An unforgiving spirit puts a child of God at odds with the Lord. I think that's why it's mentioned so many times in the Word of God. God has forgiven us all sin and He expects us to forgive others. And you may say, well, what if I don't get a response? I'm going to give you some of my, our mother's wisdom. I don't know if she ever said it to you, but she said it to me. You do right and don't worry about what other people do. You do what you know you're supposed to do and you will always be right. If other people don't do what they're supposed to do, that's between them and God. You do what God told you to do. Let the rest of it go. God will deal with those who disobey Him, especially His children. I mentioned Ephesians 4.32 and and we're going to pretty much close out with this verse, but listen to this. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Isn't that beautiful? I mentioned that verse. I want to read that verse in Colossians chapter 3. In fact, I'm going to begin in verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so do ye also. And above all these things, put on charity, that self-sacrificing love, which is the bond of perfectness. Don't let unbelief, don't let selfishness, don't let an unforgiving spirit cause you to miss out on the blessings of God that come through prayer and through faith. Because an unforgiving spirit will cause us to go through life out of God's will and out of touch with the Father.